Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. And today with a special guest, uh, Allie Maquette will be joining us to talk about her role in product management. So we'd like to welcome Allie. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hello, hello. So first off, but I guess before we jump into it, how is everybody doing? It's Halloween tomorrow, right? It's spooky it season. Yeah. I'm not sure, of course, Wait, listening to it. Yeah, well, unless you're listening to this on not the day before Halloween, so wait, this is not life. Yeah. You're telling me. <laughs> I, I was. I also couldn't tell when you were asking, like it is or like a statement or a question. <laughs> oh, but you I, have kids. You definitely know Halloween's on Saturday, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. We we cannot forget that Halloween is is here. Uh, we actually, we had a party yesterday, like a Halloween party celebrating Halloween. So it was, it was fun. COVID Halloween though has been, has kind of made it less exciting, unfortunately. So it's changed the whole celebration of Halloween for us, which has been, has been interesting. So we're not, we're actually not doing trick or treating this year, which is like super sad for our kids. Can you do it in your house? Like just set up different rooms? Yeah. We, we did like almost like an Easter egg hunt. So we set up, we just hid a whole bunch of candy outside and then let the kids go. And they just, they, they filled up their bags with Halloween candy. And so they had a, they just had a, an awesome time doing that. But anyway, Allie, how, what are you doing for Halloween? We're, we're in the same boat as you, Kyle. We're not doing trick-or-treating, but I have older kids. So we're doing um, a, a scavenger hunt and I'm using actually the neighbor's Halloween decorations as my clues to just get them to move around the neighborhood. And when they get back home, there's like a prize for them. So Halloween related, of course. So we're trying to make it fun for them, but I'm not ready. I'm I'm with you, Kyle. I can't send them out trick or treating yet. Yeah, that seems to be the smart thing to do this year. And hopefully next year we'll have the normal trigger treating going on again. And so we don't have any kids, but we have three cats. So we're just going to party and <laughs> no trick or treating for us either. That's what we're doing. <laughs> do, do the cats normally trick or treat? Uh, yes, we normally take them door to door and <laughs> we beg people, please, these are my kids, please give us candies. But no, I mean, we live in an apartment building and we also assume no one would go into the building <laughs> to go <laughs> trick or treating. <laughs> um, but that is something that I, I look forward to. Whenever we move, I want to see trick or treating action happening. So yeah, I grew up in a city. We didn't, we didn't have that. Not in Hong Kong. So yeah. That's the, that's the best part of trick-or-treating is watching all the little kids trick-or-treat. Exactly. So I've made little bags that I'm going to set out on the porch so that if we do have trick-or-treaters, they can safely get a treat and I can still watch all the cute little costumes come by. Nice. That's- so Ali, you're going to sit on your porch and just people watch. Is that is that what's happening? Yeah. With a, with a heater and a glass of wine and then I'll... Yes. <laughs> no, that's, that's so interesting. Cause that's actually what, uh, what we're doing as well. My wife is actually down making the treat bags 
I think as we speak, like putting the little treats into individually wrapped bags and we're going to put them out as well so that trick-or-treaters can still come by and take them, but do it safely. So that's, that's interesting. I'll be, yeah, I'll be interested to see like how other people kind of handle it. Do you guys have like a projection of like how much you need this year? That was hard. That was really hard. Right? Yeah. I made 152 little bags because that's how many bags, little bags I had. Little sandwich bags. (laughs) That's a lot. That was how I judged it. Interesting. Yeah, I think we're I think we're about 150 as well. Interesting. We came to very similar numbers. I have absolutely my wife kept asking me, she's like, what like how many should we do? And I was like, I have absolutely no idea. Like we kept going back and forth. Like, you know, normally we might get this many trick-or-treaters, but this year is it gonna be more? Is it gonna be less because of COVID? Like, are people gonna be you know, staying in the neighborhood? Will more people come? Will less? And I'm like, yeah. I have absolutely like there's no way to gauge what this year is going to look like. So I think, yeah, it depends on the neighborhood you're in too. Yeah. Yeah. But I have a confession to make is that we have zero treat bags ready. (laughs) Are we, (laughs) I I, I really hope we don't disappoint anybody because I asked Colby like, do we want to just toss them out from the balcony? Cause we are not on the ground floor. We can do that. And then um, I don't remember what happened at target, but we didn't end up getting anything. And now I'm like, Oh no, we need to go back just in case anyone shows up. Right. So yeah, that's my confession. There's, there's your, you just need to turn off lights. I've, th- I've, I've said that a couple of times, like as we've been going through the process of like, do we do this? I'm like, okay, we just turn off the lights. Like that's, this is just, <laughs> it's getting too, it's getting too difficult and just turn off the lights and we'll be done with it. And I was like, no, we're, we're not going to just turn, we're not, we don't ever just turn off the lights. We're doing it. You know, we're not going to be that house. And so She's definitely, yeah, she's, she's into it. And we're, we we get into Halloween. Like we have inflatables out in front, like Halloween, Halloween decorations and everything. So that's right. Yeah. We love Halloween. (laughs) And that felt more like to keep the trick-or-treaters from coming all the way to my door. So. (laughs) Yes. That's not, that's very reasonable. And I feel like every time it's my job to segue into our topic every time. And now I'm like really squeezing my brain. How do we move from here, Halloween to product management and to start asking Allie all the questions that we have. And I cannot think of a way. Kyle, do you have anything that you can think of? Speaking of amazing treats, we have... (laughs) Allie with us today. So let me introduce Allie, who it is an, an absolute treat to have with us. How about that for a segue? I think I clap, 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 clap. I think That's I nailed it this week. All right. Yes. I've I've blown it every other week. But so Allie uh, is a principal portfolio manager at WGU. And her and I had the opportunity to work together for several years a while back. And she had she has been with WGU for about 15 years now, coming up on 16, I believe, and has had multiple roles at WGU from business analyst to scrum master to product manager, and now principal portfolio manager. So we are super excited to talk with Ali about those various roles, what she's learned in working in various capacities, how to help kind of form your career as you go and then what as product managers we can learn from 
the various disciplines that we work with and what she's learned working across those various disciplines. So this is going to be a great conversation. Allie's one of the best. And so I'm super excited to have her on and talk to her. Welcome again, Allie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys. I'm excited to be here. So with that, let's, I guess, let's jump into it. Why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about how you started kind of in your various roles and maybe tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I started with Western Governors University, um, like you said, 15 years ago, and I actually started on the business side. So working with enrollment and admissions. And at the time, the organization was small, which was great because working with an organization that's in its early years, you just learn so much about different functions of business. So through that, I actually started doing project management on the business side as we started introducing better technologies to the university. And um, that's how I got introduced to education technology and a business analyst role. So it was that was kind of the door that opened up to allow me to step into technology and into like kind of pave the way for me to go to product. After I became a BA, it's still a really young organization growing. We also did a lot of project management and WGU decided to go the route of implementing agile and had the opportunity, of course, then to become a scrum master. And we didn't have product owners when we started doing agile. We just had some project managers hanging around, some BAs and brand new scrum masters. And that was, it was exciting because, right, Agile was this new thing for us. And getting your scrum certification, being one of the few, you're now the expert in the organization on something you really know nothing about. But I got to also play the role of product owner. And so as I played that role and we introduced formal product management at WGU, it was a natural progression for me to move into product management. That is really cool. It seems like a very similar stories that a lot of people can relate to is that there was no product. And then people kind of started in either project management or other you know adjacent role and then move towards that direction. And when you first had the opportunity to move into that direction, like were you excited to move into product or... Why did you make that move? Being honest and authentic is the only way I know to be. So I'm going to give an honest answer. And and no, I wasn't excited about it. I, I didn't want to do it. We actually had a brand new VP of product who um, was an amazing salesperson and convinced me that this would be the very best move for me. I was passionate about Agile and Scrum. And I, and I wanted to be a leader in our organization in that. But through her leadership, she, she opened my eyes that product management was truly going to be the future of what shaped WGU and what solved the big problems. And if I wanted to solve the important problems, product is where I needed to go. If I wanted to have a lead role in solving the problems. And so I, 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 I probably did it kicking and screaming, but I did it. And I'm really happy that I did. It, it was it was honestly the best thing I could have done. So for other people kind of thinking about like a similar move or a similar transition, what were some of the things that you took into consideration or that you would suggest for, for somebody else kind of considering a move uh, that they should be considering as well? So I think that the number one thing to consider is, are you actually passionate about finding the problems to solve. Because anywhere inside the, the project team or the product team, you have a role in solving the problem. But where I see, see the product role being and why I love it so much is because I get to dive in and say, 
I know you're saying the problem is this. I know you're saying that our customers want this, but what do they really want? And what is the real problem? And if you have a passion for digging a level deeper, then then product is the is the path for you. And that's how I knew that it was right for me is because I wasn't happy with just saying, oh, they need a button. Well, why do they need a button? And what is that button actually going to do for them? And how can we actually make that better? If, if surface level isn't enough for you, go deep and you want to be deeper into it. You know, that, that was it for me. That is really cool. And that's definitely one thing that I, I, at the mentality of that, uh, peeling the onion as deep as you can, it really is something that I relate to. Cause same thing when you talk about like, why do we need a button? What problem are we solving? And those are things that we also ask, you know, uh, as a product designer, I mean, we're all in product and it is so cool when we get to work with product managers or anyone else in the team that also understand why we're asking those questions. So yeah, I I think that mentality is so important for everyone on the product team to have. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. And it's that partnership. And I think we, we might talk about this later, but it's that partnership between all of the different roles, right? I can never say this is how we should do something. I now need a designer's input and I now need an engineer's input. And then I need the project manager to put us all in check how we can't do all that in the time that we have. And, you know, it really does take, it it takes the whole team to play their role to figure out the best way to solve, solve our customers' problems. That's really cool. And it sounds like right now you're where you're very happy and it's your ideal role on the product development team. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I think, I think so. For me personally, I'm moving into a more... I'm going to say an operations kind of role where I'm excited to influence how product management is done inside my organization. And I dream of a world-class product management organization. We have have some of the most talented individuals inside EdTech. And I'm clearly, I'm passionate about WGU because I've been there so long and I love the people. I want to ensure that we're giving everyone the space and the tools to do the things that are important to them. So for me, Personally, the next step in my career is that kind of operations, ensuring we're giving everyone the tools to do the things that they need to do. Um, But I'm actually right now today playing a very active product manager role on a special project inside WGO. So and, and I love it. It's exciting. Nice. Maybe tell us a little bit more about how you've gone about shaping your roles over time, because I know that that's been a big part of what you've done throughout kind of your career is not necessarily just taking the role that you've been given or kind of the job description that you've been given, but creating roles as you've kind of gone into them. So how have you been able to do that? And how has that kind of influenced your career progression? And how would you give advice to people to kind of help them along that same path to, you know, to kind of create their roles and not just go into a role as it were? I said something similar earlier, but it's about your passion, right? Like if you have a passion for something, if you have a passion for something and there is a gap in your organization, if you think you can fill that gap, go fill it. Don't wait for someone to tell you that it's okay. That's been, I think the key to every success I've had is that I don't wait for permission. Like I would, and this is so cliche, I'd much rather ask for forgiveness or have to go clean up after myself than to wait and potentially miss an opportunity. And it's not even an opportunity for myself Looking back, I can hear, I can see it the way you're describing it, that I've created this 
career progression for myself. But when I look back on it, every time I've gone in to fill a gap or created a role, it's because there was a customer at the end of that or the people in my organization were at the other end of that. And it's, I care about the people I work with. I care about the, our customers, our students for WGU's case that I was out making sure that it was the very best experience for them when I was filling that gap. So it's bigger. Whenever we're doing something bigger for ourselves, you naturally get rewarded, I guess is where is, is what I can see in hindsight. I love that. I'm going to throw a hashtag on that and tweet that out. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's perfect. Uh, Shifting gears just a little bit. So you've, you've worked not only in your current role as you know a product manager and portfolio manager across discipline with lots of people, but you've also worked within those various roles. So as a business analyst, a project manager, a scrum master, how have those experiences kind of shaped the way that you view the various disciplines and what can we as product people, as product managers, product designers learn from some of these other groups and and better work with them to kind of do those things that we need to do because we know it can be oftentimes difficult you know we have we have these kind of cross-functional teams where we're all working together often for the same goals but we have kind of conflicting ways that we we sometimes are trying to achieve those goals so how can we better work together and what are some of those kind of pain points that you've seen and how can we overcome some of those? This is so real for me <laughs> right now because so in my career, I've been a BA, I've been a project manager, I've been a scrum master and now in product. So when I'm working with my BA, I know the process she's going through. And so if it takes more time, if she has needs extra amount of my time or business time for questions, or whatever, I have a, a, an empathy for that. I can have compassion for that. Same thing with my project manager. Same thing with my scrum master. The only role I haven't ever played is an, is an engineer. <laughs> and as you can imagine, the only role that I struggle with when we hit hard times is my, my engineer role. And so it's really amazing. If I'm fortunate that I've been able to have all of those positions. And I'm fortunate that I grew up, if you will, with WGU to do that. But if we could all spend a, a small chunk of time in those roles to just gain the, the compassion that you need for the other individual, then it goes a really long way. As a scrum master, I used to get so frustrated with a change of priority from my product owner or the way the problem was being brought to us. And once I became a product manager, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense why she was talking to us that way. (laughs) And if I could go back and be a scrum master with the knowledge I have as a product manager, I would be the best scrum master, you know, like, so, so it, it goes a long way if you can put yourself in the other person's shoes, but you know, with, with some experience. Yeah. I, I love that point because in previous conversations, we have also like really addressed, you have to be empathetic to be in, in, in product. And for me as a designer, I have to be empathetic to users. I mean, I guess same for everyone on the product team, but also to each other because yeah, there are business things that happens, you know, on the whim and you just cannot, you know, have everything, I guess, expected in your roadmap tomorrow and things change. And, um, yeah. I, I love your perspective on that. Yeah. And, uh, I do have one question too. So considering that you have, you know, scrum master as part, part of your um, background and does that change your philosophy in, 
you know, prioritization because you kind of spoke a little bit to that too, where things change, right? I'm just interested in hearing your philosophy and yeah, prioritization, how your, you know, Scrum Master background kind of informed that. So I've, I've been doing a lot more data-driven decision-making and trying to take every decision we make at all levels of the development cycle back to the data. Is this the most important thing we should be doing? And if we start having a hard conversation, it likely means that we're at a point where we're going to have to make a different decision. And can we go back to the data to guide us? And so whether it was my role, any of the roles I've had, I I think they've all kind of come together to say, if we can use data to drive us and we can use data to better understand our customers, internal and external, we know that we'll deliver the best. Mm. And so I don't know if my previous roles have changed how I address prioritization because I want, like, I want everyone to look at the data. And I never thought I'd be that person. Being analytical isn't one of my strengths. But when you create data that's accessible, how do you not like use it and fall in love with it? You know? Wow. I love that. That's a very powerful answer. I love <laughs> that. And I guess following that that line too, what are some challenges that you run into or you see product managers facing while working with, you know, project managers or other other disciplines in, on the team? Depending on where your organization is in, in agile development, it took WGU some time to figure out where project managers fit. They had several different roles over the last few years, yet at the core of what they were doing was always project management. No matter what you called them, they were still project managers. And so um, actually on the, the project I'm working on today, we have me as the product manager, we have, we have a project manager and we have an engineering manager. And all of it, all of us have the same stake in the game, right? We all have this shared responsibility of delivering something meaningful that solves the problem. And what we've really had to do is define our, our roles. And sometimes it meant that what was on paper for a product manager isn't the role I play in this project. Sometimes the role that's on paper for a project manager is our engineering manager's strength so that he's going to do that. So working with different disciplines, if you like I'm, I'm set up on a project team versus a product team right now, like we're developing a product, but ultimately I'm going to hand this product over to a product team that's going to manage it forever. And when you move into a project team, if you take time to learn everyone's strengths and have the, the crucial conversations to say, what are you, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? What are you not great at? Maybe I'm really good at that. And I can fill in that gap and just lay out the roles regardless of what's on paper, what you should do as a product manager or should do as a project manager became really powerful up until we had those conversations. And this is actually true even on product teams, right? Like until you have that conversation, you could be stepping all over each other because on paper, I'm supposed to define the timeline. But if you're not great at defining the timeline, let the person who is do it. So having having the critical conversations, I think is is really crucial. So Kyle, I guess we were right all along communication. We always talk about communication at the end of a lot of episodes and say, we just got to talk. And um, yeah, transparent, crucial tool, right? To talk, being willing to say the uncomfortable thing is special. When you can get to the point with even one coworker or one person on the team or your business partner, where you're saying the thing that's uncomfortable, that's when you start to change. 
that's when you start to make differences. That's so true. I absolutely love that. And it's almost the reverse too. If you can't say those uncomfortable things and if you can't have those conversations, then it's almost like you'll never get anything done and you'll never accomplish anything good because you'll never get past those those difficulties and you'll never find like what those key strengths are for everybody to kind of play to. And you'll always be stuck just spinning your wheels and everybody in either their silos or in where they're supposed to be rather than where everybody could be contributing to their strengths and, and to the right areas. So it's, I I love that point. Like if, if you can't talk openly, then you're going to be stuck in, you know, whatever state you've been in for a long time. That, that, that's so good. And it completely closes the door to building trust, right? Like if you aren't, if you're not even willing to to put it out there, are willing to have the conversation. You never get to that point when you're trusting one another and that that trust is critical. Yeah, no, I agree completely. The, the, and it goes back to that communication like we were talking about. And almost like a cultural thing too, it's interesting to see kind of the various cultures of where is that open communication being fostered and where is it not? And do you have a culture of openness and a culture of being able to have those frank conversations and do you not because if you do then you can really move quickly through some of these things and if you don't have that kind of open culture then you may never be able to do something like that and to see those various types of situations and those various types of company cultures i think that's a really fascinating thing because some companies are very much i'm not open to that sort of thing and some companies are very much it's expected that you are able to have those types of conversations and be able to talk openly and frankly about what's going on and what, what are strengths and that sort of thing. So that's, that, that, that contributes a lot to, I think, team success if you're able to do that and the type of culture that a company has, whether it contributes to it or inhibits it. And culture um, ebbs and flows with an organization, mm-hmm. right? Kyle, you were at WGU with me at a time that we were feeling immense growth, right? We were ourselves trying to grow in a big way, just based on our own desire, but also the demand for what WGU offers was growing. And during that time, you bring in a lot of new leaders and a lot of new thought leaders. And I was guilty of it. Having been there for so long, it got very territorial over the things that I've, I've always owned that. Now what you, you want to change it. I'm, I don't know if I'm okay with that. Um, or the idea that old thinking in the organization couldn't grow with the way WG was changing. And so it was a lot of Today, I feel really good about trusting my organization. And then the next day, I'd be like, oh my gosh, why am I here? What's going on? <laughs> and a really amazing thing, and I didn't expect to talk about this, but is WG as an organization recognized that problem that we were having this constant ebb and flow and recently came out aside from all of our, our leadership principles and the things that help us grow professionally came, came out with cultural beliefs and actually put it on paper and are training us on how to do it and are talking to us about it and separating cultural beliefs from like leadership principles was so it's been huge. Now I'm, I'm still adopting it. This is brand new for us, but one of them is trust generously. And I actually read it and was like, 
no, 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 you, you have to earn my trust. I don't use, I just don't trust you. And I was on LinkedIn the next day and there was a, a short video with a individual talking about, and I need to, I need to look up his name, but was talking about how, who are you to say that I have to earn your trust? Like what makes you so special that I have to earn it from you? And why can't we just move about trusting people and loving people and giving people the benefit of the doubt? And that's when I was like, oh, well, no one's really done anything for me to say, you don't get this anymore, but to continue, continue to give it. And that's when trust generously said, ah, that means something different than whether you earn it or you have it, right? It means give everyone the chance so you can have hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a journey. I think that one's a journey. I I, I kind of relate to, to, to what you just talked about. Like, yes, working on, you know, why do I feel that way? And, and, and kind of working on, on, on trusting other people to, to be able to do what they can do too. And I do think that that comes from maybe to me personally, I'm like protective of what you know, what we're building here. So it's like, I want to make sure that we are all, you know, on the same level of dedication, that this is not going to go, you know, the other direction that we want it to go. Right. And, um, I, I have a lot of respect for, for what you just said there too. That was a great answer. I love that. So funny that trust, like, it's funny how the universe brings you things that you're struggling with and keeps putting it in front of you to talk about. I have talked about this topic so much in the last few months when my ability to trust my project team has been tested more than anything and, or even trust my leaders and trust um, the process and trust the organization. And so I love, I love that we've talked about this because it's, it's just amazing how timely these things can come up in your career or in, in your life, you know? I do have a follow-up question to that. Um, so there's another side of trust, right? Like what if then you trust somebody, they're tasked with something very important. And at the end, if that, you know, that initiative fails, how, how do you see that? Or how do you handle that? I point my finger and I yell and I scream. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect handling. <laughs> what comes to mind is we're a team, right? We achieve together, we fail together. And if we let an individual get to the point that they have really, their their piece has completely failed all of us, then we were never really working as a team anyways, right? Like, especially in Agile, you have so many opportunities to check in, right? And you have so many opportunities to respectfully challenge the status and respectfully challenge where we're at, that I would take equal responsibility after I'm sure I did a little blame game because I'm human and I would feel angry. But, but, but sincerely, I would take equal responsibility for not doing my part to provide the support. And that's the wonderful thing about, about Scrum, you're a team, even about a project team, no matter how you're doing something, none of us are going out and identifying the problem, writing the requirements, designing it, building it, QAing it. Like none of us are doing all of it. We're a team. And at any point, if something seems off, we should be saying, uh, something's not adding up. How can we help? How can I help? Can I do something differently? I think that's, that's the whole idea of, of trust and teamwork and scrum. I love that. I love that. Like you said, during the process, there are still things in place to, you know, help each other to not fail. It's not like, oh, you do it. Oh, you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I love that team mentality. I, I think this is probably, I mean, to me so far, the biggest highlight of this episode already. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, we've been in a remote work environment for a lot of us, you know, for, I don't know, maybe eight months, but for you, Ali, you've been working remotely for a longer time than that. So how have you found remote working generally? And how have you found kind of the changes over the last eight months? Yeah. So I felt fortunate at first when (laughs) everyone started going from home. I'm like, I'm already at home. This is perfect. (laughs) I got it worked out. But in, in the end of the last school year, my kids were getting a different type of online instruction, right? Like all the schools tried to shift to this online thing. And um, I was not taking the full responsibility of additional, additional responsibilities within my family, right? Like it was, it was different March, April, May, and then summer hit and summer is pretty normal time where I felt like, oh yeah, I still have this because a summer routine, me working, my kids being home, all of that still felt very normal. It was towards the end of summer when everyone started going back to school and my coworkers were now changing their schedules. And what I noticed was we got a new kind of flexibility to say, you work when it's best for you. Like you make whatever accommodations you need to make for your new normal. And that meant some of us worked early in the morning and some of us worked late at night. And some of us split our days. And I then was struggling to pull together the people I needed when I needed them. Because in the name of like, my family comes first, which is 1000% right, our schedules no longer match. And so then what I saw happen was people were working really long days, right? Like I'd start at six so I could meet with so-and-so. And then I'd work till eight so I could meet with this other person. And all work-life balance went out the window. Everything just got crazy. And the other side of that is for some of the people that I work with who have a partner in managing homeschooling and new demands, sometimes it would split that they, their partner is taking care of everything. And so they're focusing on work and now they're working 12-hour days. And so I then felt more demand, like, oh, I got to work these 12-hour days too. Like if they're doing it, I have to do it. How will we get everything done? So once working from home looked like it was going to be a more semi-permanent, if you will, situation, man, it really became apparent. And that's when my world changed. I thought I had a system, but my system only worked because everyone else had a schedule. And I did not realize that until this year. My system only worked because of everyone else's consistency. (laughs) So now working agreements with teams, with coworkers that I work closely with has become a big, a bigger part of our life. And the working agreement looks a lot different during a pandemic than it did when we all just went about life without restrictions. So things like schedule, critical, critical decisions are only made during specific hours because those are the hours we've all agreed we can make ourselves available. And a new accountability for when I say I'm not working has had a, has has become more important. It's changed a lot. I may be comfortable working inside my home, which is an adjustment I didn't have to make, but the schedule and my how much I depend on other people has changed. That's really interesting. And I think something that we've probably all 
been finding to probably more or less extents, just depending on how much our schedules have all had to shift because of remote work and be, and because of time zones too. Um, I know where everybody's located in a similar time zone, it's, it's kind of one thing. And then when you start to get spread out across multiple time zones, it just becomes even more and more difficult. So that's, that's interesting. I guess, are there other workplace challenges that you kind of see, whether that's related to kind of remote work or just in general that are, I guess, are difficulties that you've been kind of coming across? I think um, a, a couple things that have happened is WGU, and I've seen this with other organizations. I've even seen it with things that I use. We've all had to change direction, right? We're now solving problems in a different world. And so our brains had to shift on a dime and we had to do it really fast. Like how do we operate in a world where we can't sit by each other and collaborate? And the problem that we were solving that allowed a student to go to a proctor center, they don't go to a proctor center anymore. Like now we have to get that student in, in a reliable, authenticated environment to do, to do the activity. And so there's been a, a big mind shift. So not only are people now figuring out how to work, the things they need to work on have changed with the pandemic. The other thing is our, our and this is a big piece for me, is all, I feel like all of our home lives have changed in some way. And it's almost like we're all figuring out who our family members are again and who, what our true necessities are in life and reevaluating your needs, right? Like if you can only leave the house for 30 minutes, what are you doing with those 30 minutes? (laughs) Um, So everything I really, I said all this, but it's really everything about how we live day to day has changed even for the person that's worked from home for 15 years, you know? That is so true. Like the grounds have shifted completely. Yeah. And every day they do, right? Like if you're following things in your local community, it's changing every day. Yeah. I I feel like that's definitely helping all of us to uh, look at work and, and, and time, you know, just how we spend time. Do we spend eight hours working? Do we spend time doing this or that? And kind of like what you said, the 30 minutes you have outside, what do you do with that time? And, and how much, you know, do you push until you're like, that's not safe now, you know, all these things and kind of, again, just changing your whole entire world. And I, I I am interested, um, uh, in knowing, did you, have any, I guess on a lighter note, did you come to any of that, like, oh, life-changing moment of knowing, oh, okay, this working style works for me or, or this lifestyle, uh, what about it that I don't like? And, and now you have kind of more time to think about, you know, your relationship with your job, those things, anything that you, you're okay to share? Yeah. So I, I've always been like a big morning person, but, um, I was sharing with Kyle earlier is, I'm now homeschooling a fourth grader and a seventh grader and working full time in product, which we all know is a demanding career. And on top of that, 
my husband's active duty military and he left the country for several months during this. So I will never claim to be a single parent because I have a still an amazing spouse and support system, but I was flying solo in this home. And so my morning, which was all about me, now became all about two kids and making sure they could pass the fourth grade and seventh grade. Because like my only goal now was to have smart kids. Before I counted on someone else to like keep my kids smart. And now my only goal is like kids. So my mornings, which were all about me, are now all about them. And I've actually found a passion for watching my kids learn which I didn't know I was missing out on that. Like to sit and watch their brains work is an incredible gift that I've been given. Now, there are moments that I'm like, oh my gosh, go back to school. When can you go back to school? But honestly, watching them learn has been the the biggest gift. And then the other thing that I have found after a long work day and you're so exhausted and you're you're balancing things. I used to zone out at the end of the day, you know, sit on the couch, watch a show, whatever. Well, now everyone's kind of sat around the house waiting for me to be done working. So at the end of the day, um, we're now saying, let's go for a bike ride. Let's go for a walk. And I've found so much joy in appreciating these activities with my family, which previously, yes, could I've done all those things before. Yeah. But I didn't take advantage of it. Right. Like I thought, they can go play with friends. They've been at school all day. Every, you know, everyone's done a thing. And now that's not it. So I think our family's actually gone closer than we were before, which I'm I'm super thankful for. I didn't know that we needed to, but here we are. Here we are doing it. And it's great. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's so good for one and s- such a challenge. Like I like my mind just keeps blowing. Like we were talking about that before we started recording and I just, I'm still like wrapping my head around it because we're, we're homeschool. I say we, and I mean that very loosely, like we, (laughs) we're homeschooling our two kids too. And by we, I mean my wife. Um, And it's, it is such an enormous job (laughs) that takes up such a huge amount of time. It is, it's, it's awesome. Like you were talking about to see but my participation in it is like watching occasionally like in between meetings and stuff. And I'm just like, wow, this is like a lot of fun, like seeing the games and they're just like having a riot down there. Like they're like singing along and stuff. And like, this is fun. And and it's, it's really cool. But like the amount of work that goes into it is, is just incredible. So like I, my wife was like, yeah, I might need to go do something for a day. I was like, Oh, Oh no. Like, what are we going to do? If I need to, like, if I need to like split time and like, do school in the morning and then like, and, and, and balance out meetings. And I was like racking my brain, like, okay, yeah, I think we can make that work for a day. So yeah, that's, that's crazy, but wow. And to, to balance all of that. And like you were talking about the, like the amount of scheduling and stuff that uh, everybody's having to do and like to finding that balance and some of those lines between everything, just so that, it's we have the time for things and making sure that it's it's no longer I I guess you can't be passive about it anymore it has to be like a much more active thing than it was before because if it's not active then it just won't happen which I guess is like one of the key lessons that 
I think we've taken. And I think that you were kind of talking about there too, is you can't just expect things to happen. Like you have to really make it happen. And otherwise school just doesn't get done and other things just don't get done. Yeah, you're exactly right. But it's also like things that we would even let like working past five. I know lots of us do it, but um, you would just let it slide and you'd be okay with it or you'd be secret mad, secretly mad about it at work. Now you just have to say, hey guys, it's school time with my kiddos. I'm jumping off here and I, I make a promise to follow up at this time tomorrow. You know, like, and those conversations, like they have to happen now. You can't just sit around and say, okay, well, it'll wrap up soon. Or, well, you know, you just have to start saying, okay, enough. I made this other commitment, like you said, and I have to be active in it. I can't put it off. The other thing I found is my, my kids, if I set an expectation, they will rise to the occasion. Like, I don't know why I wasn't doing this for years. Like if I say between this time, you need to do these, these three items and I'm going to check them. Oh my gosh, they'll do the three items. Like they'll totally get it done. They'll show up. And every day they like get better and better at self guided learning, you know, it's really, it's really incredible to see what children can do during a pandemic. That's a whole, probably a whole nother topic for another podcast, but (laughs) it is a a remarkable thing to like analyze what our children have done during the pandemic. Right. Yep. This is crazy to hear. I'm like mentally making notes here. And I, I guess kind of looping back to what we talked about earlier is like, trust. And and then it sounds like your children are, you know, uh, rising to the occasion, like you said, and you can trust them to do those things. That's really cool. And I have nothing but just really respect to all parents that are doing everything right now. It's just the craziest time to be a parent. I can only guess. And, 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 and I like what you said about like just communicating the boundaries of like when you need to stop too. And I've seen that, you know, in action and we have a new mother on the team. And then she was very clear, like, I cannot do lunchtime meeting very clear. Cause that's the one time I have to feed my baby and everyone's like, Oh yes, yes, yes. We understand. But yeah, having that very clear boundary definitely helps us to all organize work events and meetings and stuff too. You Again. brought up the other side of that too, where when someone calls it, you know, I have this or I have that. Everyone say, yeah, we've agreed to that. We support that and make it a team decision, right? Like make it like respectful and encouraging and all because we're in just unprecedented times that that's, that's the other side of it is when someone raises their hand and said, I've ha- I've had enough today or I have other commitments to honor it and not make it their problem, you know? Yep. When someone communicates, we respond with empathy. And I, I think that's such a key to just staying sane during this time and having a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess kind of going along with that, I'm curious what you see the future of the workplace being and maybe what you see and maybe what WGU is kind of planning as far as getting back to the office. Yeah. So um, at first, Again, if, I, if I'm being honest, at first, I didn't understand uh, my coworkers that were resistant to going home. I didn't understand it. I was like, being at home is the greatest. Like, you know, you have your own schedule. You get to work in your own space. Like, I love it. But what I really learned is there are individuals who need to get out of their home. 
right? Like they need to go to the workplace. They need to be near the people that they collaborate with and they need, um, a different workspace, just like we have different learning styles, we have different working styles. And I think future of the workspace is organizations are going to realize that people can be more organizations will realize that people can be truly effective at home if they're doing meaningful work. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you believe in it and it's meaningful, you can do it from anywhere. But then the other side of that is I think organizations are going to continue, are going to find new ways to allow people to collaborate in person. Um, WGU still does not have individuals in the office. My, my understanding is if you need to be there, you can reserve a time to go. And there are some opportunities to ensure capacities in the office, but it's still a problem that we need to solve. Uh, different working teams need different kind of space. They need different opportunities to connect. And that's a really big challenge. How do you do that? safely. And we can learn a lot. There are organizations that haven't been able to go home, right? We we look at our Amazon is an example. We see their commercials every day of working from home. Like we have things to learn from the organizations that have been forced to test this for us, you know, and, and hopefully we all do learn from one another. And and I'm not an expert on this, so I can't speak to it, but there's a big mental health piece of ensuring that we're creating the right environments for our employees. And that is harder for employers to do when everyone's at home. It's harder for WG to know that I'm in a safe space. And that's something that we, we need to be thinking about. And we can't just put it on our organizations to solve. I need to be thinking about anyone I'm working with and ensuring that I'm in tune with how they're doing um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Yes. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And it's going to be interesting, especially as we move forward. What, what do you wish that leaders knew? If you could tell product leaders or I guess company leaders, anything, you know, what, what do you wish that some of them knew? You know, as we, um, I think product does this a lot. Engineering does a lot. You work with your executive leadership team a lot. And the more you grow in product, the more high profile your projects get, your products get, and the more you talk with them. And there's a lot of demand on our leaders. And one of the things that I really wish leaders were more aware of is how people react to their words. So when a VP is in a status update meeting and they say, I need to know more about X. and The entire team leaves that meeting and spends the next day or week ensuring they can always speak to X, right? And the next meeting, X may never get brought up ever again. And so the words, the the requests, um, people are listening. And so if you ask for something, make sure that it is a priority to you and make sure it's important to you. Uh, my mom is a vice a vice president for a big soda company. And I shared this with her. So I was like, in one of those moments, like, I'm like, mom, you're a VP. Do you know that people react when you speak? Like when you say something, everyone leaves that meeting and ensures that your request is met. Make sure your request is important. And it's changed the way she works. She had no idea that people did that because her, her peers don't always do that, right? She's like, I say things in meetings with people all the time. They don't do anything. But the people that report to her or the people that respect her do. 
And so I, I, that's my, that's like my big, my big thing, consistency, make sure it's important because people will do it. Just make sure it's important because if they're doing it and it's not important, you've now sent five people to do the thing that doesn't matter, you know? Yep. And, and I mean that with the, in the most respect that they want to do the most important thing for you. So make sure it matters. Yeah. I, I just, I can't even tell you how, how, like how much I, I like plus 1000 this because <laughs> I vote. Yeah. It, it's so true because literally, especially if it's, yeah, like you were talking about, if it, it, if it's a senior leader or somebody asks for something or mentions something, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people who you may not even report directly to them, but especially as uh, product people, I know that we'll, we'll get into this sort of thing where it's like, if it's, you know, diving in, if it's our product, for example, and somebody mentions something offhand in a meeting, like, Oh, you know, what, what is this thing? You know, that might send us down into investigating that or, uh, understanding more deeply what that is for a significant amount of time in order to be able to answer those questions. And if those aren't important questions, then, you know, when we circle back around to that and it turns out that, you know, you didn't care about that, or that was just a random thought that came to your mind that you're never going to come back to again. You know, those are things that you as a leader really need to be thinking about because you can't, you know, you can't or shouldn't just be idly asking for things that aren't important or at least not without caveating that here's here's a thought but you know let's actually not run that down because i you know on second thought i don't think that that's important for us to be spending time on maybe there's something else that we should be thinking about those types of things because a lot of people will spend a lot of time on on that and i know in the past i've done that same thing where I've dove into answering those questions, preparing lots of information, thinking that, hey, here's an important thing that somebody's asked for, only for that never to like come up again. And it's like, well, I've I've just spent a significant amount of time on this question that somebody asked, and now like they don't care about it. And it's like, well, <laughs> why? So I mean, that's or a great they point. Come back. They they come back and just say, wait, what did I say? Remind me again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. As you guys were talking, I just have like flashbacks because I, I think sometimes uh, maybe in the, in the interface, there are things that everyone can pick out and ask a questions. And those are easy moments where I can walk down that, that lane, go down that rabbit hole <laughs> and chase after those things. But Right. I think a lot of people listening can probably relate to those moments. And hopefully we, I, I, I really hope that everybody has channels to communicate to leadership, you know, what they need or what they don't need in a healthy and constructive way. But yeah, those moments are tough for sure. And I guess we're kind of almost at the end of our interview. And to wrap this up, I do have one last question for you, Ali. Um, I want to hear about the best moment in your career. What's one moment that you're like, yes, this is, this is the best, or I guess it can be a meeting. It can be an initiative that you have worked on anything. So the, it's funny because what felt like the best then, right? Like our products evolve and change. And looking back, I'm like, 
it's not the best product, but the feeling um, of launching the very first product that I launched at WGU, um, where I actually ran the whole thing in a product role is it's ironically the very project that I'm now working on to redo, (laughs) but um, it it was our original enrollment portal at um, WGU. And because it was the first one that I ran from end to end and lived it, right. I lived the iterations. I lived the testing. I lived the, the, seeing our users interact with it. And that was the most rewarding piece, seeing something stay a priority from the time it it went through ideation to the time that we got to launch. So many products get deprioritized or problems get deprioritized. Um, And that was really rewarding for me. And I, it drives an individual. I think um, if you can get end to end in a project or in a product feature, um, it drives you to do the next one. So that that was my most rewarding moment in my career so far. Um, and, and I hope I get to experience it again with this project I'm working on now. It's always hard when you're in the thick of it. So <laughs> I guess we're all chasing that dragon in, in product development. We're all like, yes, next one. One more. Let's go more. Yeah. <laughs> but that makes sense. That's really cool. And I guess that's all the questions we have today for Allie. Uh, Kyle, do you have anything else? No, I think that's good. Anything else, you Allie? Do you want to? Well, I had a product shout out. All right, like here we go. Relevant. We're ready to jump into it. Yeah. It's pandemic relevant and it's how I'm surviving. Perfect. Even better. I don't know if you guys do this, but um, have your groceries delivered? Right yes. Here. So the improvements to my local grocery store's online app to order my groceries, um, it's King Supers, which is Kroger brand, to order my groceries, leave notes, right? Like I want ripe bananas and to um, accept substitutes and all that. It's life-changing. Pre-pandemic, it wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. So like to all those product people and designers and everyone improving that very real timely experience is life-changing for the everyday person. So I can't, it sounds, it probably sounds silly, but I am, I live in that app ensuring that my family still has food and toilet paper. <laughs> so well, I can only imagine, cause you mentioned that your spouse is out of the country. When are you going to have time to go to the grocery store to buy stuff? Yeah. My oldest son is immune compromised. So we don't go to the grocery store right now. Like not a thing. So that's like, I was doing home grocery delivery before, but the pandemic has improved that experience in a big way. So huge shout out for, for, um, the King supers app. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's so many things like that, that I feel like have been just improvements of both apps and experiences because of the pandemic. Like we ordered, like we we have been ordering both like groceries and curbside pickup and things like that, that as we're looking at it, we're like, hopefully these things will not only not go away, but just continue to improve even as we get out of, uh, you know, the, the thick of everything. Um, just because like getting curbside pickup is just awesome. And grocery delivery is just awesome. Like all of these things, you know, even, you know, when we're not in the height of pandemic is 
I just hope something that never goes away because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, interesting that the pandemic kind of accelerated the development of all these all, all these apps and experiences. Yeah. And I guess the only one service I've used to deliver grocery was um, Whole Foods. Um, Amazon, thank you for, for building this out. <laughs> but um, it was okay. I, I, I know they have a lot of money. I know they can do better. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I do think that you're right, Kyle. Like it's probably going to stay right for a while. I hope so. Yeah. We had, we had some restaurants nearby that started to kind of take theirs away, like some of their curbside a little while ago. And I think they've started to reinstitute it though, especially here in Utah as things have started to tick back up again recently, as far as the the pandemic goes. So that's been, it's been both obviously good and bad. Uh, Utah has not been doing very well with the the pandemic. And so it's, Yep. That's been bad, but the curbside pickup has been, has been good. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually just got like a Ember alert type notification on my phone saying extreme emergency alert about COVID-19. Um, I don't know if you guys got it, but I was like, oh, finally, we're going to do this again. <laughs> but um, yes, but thanks to all grocery stores responding to this. And I, another thing that comes with this too is also really cool, not so much in the product realm, but the... Uh, morning senior hours. I don't participate in it, but I thought that was like a very, um, it's like finally time that we have something like this. I know European countries, they have had that for a long time. And finally we have that in the U S it's just kind of an interesting thing that, um, I, I feel like it's similar to when we have astronauts in the moon and all of a sudden we have all these other inventions that come with all the, you know, moon visiting technology, um, like microwave, phone, all that stuff. And now the pandemic kind of, I mean, it's not a good thing that we have a pandemic, but all these inventions that kind of come along with it is interesting. But anyways, um, Kyle, do you have any shout out or, or product gripes that you want to shout uh, out? I'll, I'll just give like a super quick shout out to Tarani pure made syrups, which I've, if you haven't used these, so I'm, I'm drinking my Pepsi, uh, zero sugar right now, but I, I put in raspberry and vanilla Tarani pure made syrup in this. It's basically like drinking a, like a, an ice cream milkshake and it's just so delicious. I can't even tell you how good this Pepsi Zero Sugar is right now with those two syrups in there. It is, it is heavenly. So that's, that is my shout out right now because I am enjoying a Pepsi Zero Raspberry Vanilla, which you can buy in stores. I don't think you can get anywhere, but it is so, so good. And those, the Pure Made is like the, it's like the premium Tarani syrup. So if you if you want to go get some, it's delightful. I haven't had any soda that is as good as this. This is killing me because, like, Ali, I don't know if you have listened to other episodes that we've done, but every time it, uh, you just never know what Kyle's going to bring up. And in the past, we have multiple shout outs to uh, the 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 crackers and chips industry <laughs> for different different stories about chips and crackers and. I, I I just love those stories and I'm glad that you're continuing on, on yeah. the snack trend, yeah. Kyle, I, I, but shout out. And, yeah. but I, wait, hold on. Do you want to ever buy one of those freestyle machines in your home? You know what I'm talking about? I, oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. I don't know how much they cost though. That, that would be amazing. It seems a little expensive and the maintenance would probably be 
a bit much for my taste. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I might have to look into it and just see. But for right now, we, we do, we have the Tarani syrup. So we, again, not sponsored by Tarani or Pepsi, unfortunately, <laughs> but if you want to reach but, out. Yeah. Let us know. We, we got, we got space for sponsorship yeah, and we have a few openings. <laughs> yes. Please tweet at us. Um, I have my, well, per usual, I don't have a shout out. Um, I think I'm doing like maybe 20% shout outs and 80% cripes. And I feel like a hater, but I just want to bring up, um, over the weekend, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Google changed all their apps, uh, icons. Um, and everybody just hate everything right now. Cause Google drive, Google sheets, Google docs, um, even Google Gmail, all the icons now look exactly the same. There's no distinction between all the icons and all, I, I mean, I can get really serious about this, but I feel like I don't even need to explain why this is bad when you have all your product icons, how people interact, you know, with their phone and try to find Gmail and cannot find it because all the icons now look exactly the same. Um, and you can't even identify different, you know, shapes from, because they have four different colors. Very anyways, design Twitter was a joy to look at over the weekend. And are you guys checking your phone right now? Um, cause it's, it's sad. I, I noticed this morning the upset about it yes and i'm on i think the minority end that i appreciate my ocd (laughs) really likes the new icons (laughs) but i appreciate everything you brought up that really this isn't a a user-friendly experience for a larger audience yes i want to quickly go find my gmail icon i don't want to accidentally get into google drive that's kind of my gripe. And I also cannot imagine it just, it's losing a lot of the shape and just the way you perceive those icons become too unified in a way that again, just, I cannot. Yeah. Oh, Anyways, okay. Uh, yeah, mine, mine haven't updated yet, but I'm looking oh, at the update. pictures of them and I, I can see what you're talking about. So yeah, that's going to be a jarring update for me when that happens. And I do want to point out one thing. Um, I'm, maybe Ali, I'm trying to win you over on on this side. Is that um, if you're talking about like being OCD about these icons, somebody pointed out that the order where the colors are placed are also not unified. And I I don't think it's um, a bad thing. Where I I know that the blue is really heavy. They probably want to put it a different you know focus in different icons but at the same time some people got really triggered that they're not in the same order how they're placed (laughs) so it's a bad move all around you you win now because i had not spent enough time to notice that and i now agree with you so thank you i mean um i'm gonna start a campaign and start a change.org petition to have (laughs) it changed back (laughs) but welcome to the hate camp Okay. I feel bad every time when I do these gripes. I need to do more shout outs. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be tough for me because I'm, I am so used to like the, I, and I obviously use the Gmail and the calendar a ton, like a ton, a ton. So I'm, I'm going to lose them completely. I'm not even going to know what I'm looking at anymore. Like as soon as it updates. I feel like phone. I'm making you like hate it before you even experience it it's gonna happen i'm gonna be like where's my where's my calendar and where's my gmail like they're gone what happened (laughs) 
So it's it's good you brought it up because I would be like, I my apps are gone. What happened? Now Google is not going to sponsor us ever. Darn it. We keep losing. Well, we lose some and then we win some. So as long as we get Pepsi, we're good. Yeah. Or wait, what's that syrup brand? Taroni. Taroni. Yeah. We just need to get Taroni and Pepsi. Then we're good. Yeah. Those are, those are some big names. I, I know someone local to Pepsi. So, okay. so Utah Pepsi. Just okay. saying. Right. Perfect. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you, if you want to touch base, put them in contact. <laughs> we have big dreams here. <laughs> Anyways, but that is it. And thank you so much, Allie, for being here. And I feel like this is seriously, I, I, I think very helpful for a lot of product managers, um, or just anybody in product development. And I just, yeah, I, I, I think we touched on a lot of very important topics and with very powerful answers. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prod by design. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.